Hi, I'm Dirk Friel, co-founder of Training Peaks, and you're listening to the Training Peaks Coachcast. I'll be sitting down with expert endurance coaches and amazing athletes, each with special stories to tell. At its heart, Training Peaks is about helping you create the best journey possible towards your endurance goals. We hope these stories inspire you to get out there, train with purpose, and never be afraid to sign up for that next big challenge. My guests today are a winning combination of Abby Hall, the athlete, and her coach, Jason Coop. Abby is a professional ultra runner for team Adidas Terex. She is a lifelong runner, but found most enjoyment and success when she discovered ultras in 2016. Since then, she's risen to compete in races and mountain objectives around the world, ranging from marathons to 100 milers and beyond. Abby's 2020 season kicked off strong with a win at the Red Hot 55K, yet her goals inevitably changed as races were canceled due to COVID. Her goal became to chase an unsupported FKT attempt on the Numu Poyo, also known as a John Muir Trail. She ended up running the second fastest ever woman's time and sixth fastest in the route's history. Jason Coop is Abby's coach, and they have been working together as a team ever since she started the sport of ultra running in 2016. During his coaching career, he has managed over 100 endurance coaches and several hundred athletes of all types, abilities, and sports. He is coach to many of today's top ultramarathon athletes who have produced results, including wins at the Western States 100, Lake Sonoma 50, Pikes Peak Marathon, and Ultra Runner of the Year. Jason is also an accomplished ultra runner himself, having finished some of the most difficult races on the planet, including the Badwater 135, Hard Rock 100, Leadville 100, and Western States 100. I hope you enjoy the show. Abby, Jason, thanks so much for joining me today. My first podcast of 2021. I'm really excited to kick off the new year. Awesome. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, just a little background. Uh, Jason, tell us more about you know your involvement with, with ultra running and coaching ultra runners. Was this the first sport you came to to coach or how did you evolve and get to this point in your, in your career? It, 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 well, as you know, it definitely was not. I mean, when I, <laughs> when I first started coaching, I mean, training, I started coaching and training peaks kind of launched basically within the same year, I believe if we were to go back in the memory yeah. banks far enough. And at the time, remote based endurance coaching, it really wasn't a thing. Like we all recognize it now as like something that, athletes go to and people can earn a viable profession in it. But, you know, in the early 2000s, nobody really knew what it was because the tools didn't exist. The internet wasn't nearly as robust as, as it was right now. And it wasn't like a, you couldn't explain it to anybody, I guess is the best way to, to, uh, to describe it. And I was a runner. I had a running background throughout my entire life, ran in high school and college. And, uh, I, I knew I wanted to be a coach and the, at the time kind of the two avenues for that were to go into the collegiate coaching system or try to work with the national governing body or at the Olympic training center. And neither one of those were really appealing to me for, for just a variety of different uh, perspectives. And I just happened to kind of fall in literally fall into by a stroke of luck this remote based endurance coaching thing as it was you know very nascent at the time very early stage right. and cyclists were the they were really the first sport group to adopt 
this remote based, you know, coaching methodology. And so I had to kind of transform my, my, my soul, so to speak, <laughs> not only, not only like my sport <laughs> oh, discipline, sell but, out to the devil. Yeah, huh? exactly. I had to transform <laughs> my soul in, into, into cycling, but actually, I mean, it gave me a really big coaching advantage because I didn't know anything about the sport. You know, I mean, I was definitely observer right. of the sport. I was a fan of the sport, but I didn't know the inter workings. And so, I was forced to learn the sport from a ground from the ground up and I couldn't rely on my own, you know, my own upbringing, my own athletic bias and things like that. And, uh, that, that honestly was my first dip into the waters of remote based endurance coaching. And then as that profession became more mature, I worked with runners and then with triathletes and then for whatever reason, ultra runners started catching on to it. And that's a whole nother story that we can get into and then gradually kind of morphed into what I've been doing for the last several years, which is primarily working with, with trail and, and, and ultra runners to improve their performance. Yeah. Cool. Sort of getting back to the roots in a way. Yeah, for sure. And Abby, you've had a really fast rise in the sport up to an elite level professional um, runner. Um, you, you know, I, I think you started in 2016. Was that your first ultra in 2016? Yeah, I I exactly. Um, I had been, um, really like a lifelong runner, uh, ran my first trail race, I think when I was in fifth grade, um, and really, you know, went through the whole, you know, cross country and track in middle school, high school, college, uh, ran B3 in college. And, um, you know, I think, anyone who's like, you know, competed in high school or college or whatever, there's that moment where, you know, you've graduated and you decide, Hey, I'm going to still wake up and go for a run the next day. And, uh, you just kind of, you know, kind of choose what you want your future to look like with it. Um, so kind of after college, I had signed up for a few marathons and was having fun with kind of setting personal goals for myself and realized that I just really still, you know, wanted the sport to be a major part of my life. Um, so I was living in uh, California kind of at the time when I'd started to hear about ultras for the first time. And I just was immediately infatuated with this kind of niche community and these crazy stories I was hearing on podcasts and books. And like, I was just hungry for it. Um, and it was around the time when I had just started hearing about, you know, FKTs and all these new terms. And I thought, man, I want to live somewhere where, where this can be like, like, I just want to go all in on this. This is fascinating to me. And most of all, like the community around it. And so for me, I was like, where can I move where I can have a community around this? So I moved to Boulder in 2016, signed up for a summer of ultras and just dove in and kind of willed my plan into action. Um, and yeah, like moved to town and just started going to every group run I could and uh, really quickly fell in love with like pursuing it at a really competitive level. Um, and then I believe Coop and I started working together in 2017. Um, so wow. yeah, I kind of went from being like pretty casual community runner to like, I want to go big at this. Um, so it's been a really fun journey and uh, not that many years. 
was Coop your first choice or your tenth? No. <laughs> <laughs> or was it love at first keep, sight? Keep uh, going down. It might be in like the forties or fifties. <laughs> yeah. No. no, like why? You know why Coop? You know, where, did you interview? Why? Why did you uh, settle on this fella? <laughs> No, Coop was the first and only person I reached out to. And uh, I I think for me, it was a uh, kind of like a sign or like a statement within myself of how seriously I wanted to take it. And to uh-huh. me, like my perception was, you know, Coop is the best in the biz. And so I wanted to like, if I was going to do this seriously, I wanted to like, you know, I wanted to do it right. And so like, I remember Coop, we were like having coffee and you were like, I was, I thought maybe like you were still thinking about like whether we could work together and you were like, no, I'll take you on. Like, let's do it. I was like, really? Oh, sweet. (laughs) So Jason, uh, I mean, relatively, obviously young athlete. I mean, she'd competed in college, but new to the sport of ultras and hundreds and 50 Ks, et cetera. Where, where the heck do you start? (laughs) <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, yeah, that's a good question. Where do you start with an ultra runner? Because it's it's kind of like such a weird sport. And I mean, to 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 Abby's story of the coach selection process, right? That all kind of athletes go to. I mean, I kind of have a similar thing on my side, right? Where I have an, an athlete selection process. I mean, right. Dirk, you and I know I've been you know doing this for a long time, and. I say no way more times than I say yes uh, to athletes, especially elite athletes that uh, that that want to come on board. And um, when I when I kind of first met Abby, she she had her head in the right spot. And the biggest telltale sign for that was just what she mentioned. She wanted to go all in, and she was taking a very deliberate, long term approach with it. She wasn't looking for a quick fix. She wasn't looking to, you know, win a world championship within six months or anything like that. She, one of the things that, that I actually pulled up my notes from that, uh, from that initial <laughs> coffee talk, uh, one, nice. one, one, nice. Of the, one of the things that she, uh, that, that she mentioned to me is, is I'm in it for the long haul and I want to be successful over the course of the long term. And from a coaching perspective, those are the athletes that I'm always the most apt to connect with initially is the ones that aren't looking for, you know, the first, the, the first and the next bright, shiny object that's, uh, that's in front of them. They're willing to especially from a lead athlete perspective, they're willing to commit to training over a long period of time in order to kind of in order to reap success. So kind of the first, one of the first things that we actually did is we brought her down to Colorado Springs to our lab. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have a physiolo- we have a physiological testing capabilities there and, you know, I can look through, I can look through her previous training, which is all available in training peaks. I can look through her previous race results. I can, you know, talk to her on the phone ad nauseum. We can start training and glean a lot of information, but I always like having that tool because for really two primary reasons is one, there's a little bit of like buy-in that you get from the athlete that, yeah, Hey, this is an all in process. Like you're going in, you're going to, you know, put yourself on a treadmill. We're going to suit you up with the, with the mask and you're going to go as hard as you can. And it gives you a really detailed and kind of intimate view at your endurance physiology. Uh, but the second thing is there's a lot of like practical takeaways from those types of tests that that are really hard they're not impossible to get but they're really hard to get from the day-to-day uh, uh day-to-day training data and so we kind of started there you know put it on the treadmill let's see what you got let's see if we can glean some information from there 
and then it's just like any other athlete, you know, let's just go and train and go through training cycles and go through races and learn, right? That was a big part of it as Abby can probably attest mm -hmm. to. Let's learn from all of these experiences and just see where the, see where that pathway goes. Awesome. Um, so had you, was this a huge change for you, Abby, um, receiving that expert instruction? Was it easy, like you just ate it up and loved it or was it like really hard to take in some of it and adapt. I'm not physically, but mentally to like this new structure. Yeah. You know, I think in a lot of ways it was somewhat familiar for me after like, you know, being on teams in high school and college. And, um, I think that was like a structure that I was used to. Um, but I think one of the things I love about working with Coop is I'm like always learning on a science level about, you know, what's happening and the purpose of our training and why I'm doing what, when, and uh, I think that's been like hugely valuable to, to have, uh, you know, a method to the madness and not just shooting at the moon and, uh, you know, hoping for the best with like random strings of training. Um, that greater strategy to me as an athlete allows for like a bigger buy-in to the long-term process. So, um, I think that in a lot of ways gave me a kind of renewed purpose to my training. Um, huh, Yeah. Great. Well, uh, in, you know, speaking of shooting for the moon, what, what were your original goals for 2020 pre COVID? What, what did this year look like to you before March 1st? Yeah. Um, prior to COVID, um, well, I was fortunate to get a couple races in <laughs> right at the start of the year in February, I uh, did a trip out to the desert and got a couple of races in, um, which uh, I'm really great, extra grateful for in hindsight. Uh, but <laughs> after that, you know, the plans were to go to my Adidas team training camp in the Canary Islands and Ooh. race in the Canary Islands, uh, race at CCC again at UTMB at the end of the summer, um, all sorts of different adventures, a lot of travel. And so really just, you know, like for all of us, I'm sure it's like one by one, everything uh, starts getting canceled. And I definitely held on to some UTMB hope for, for a while there. Uh, but you know, it was just a, a series of pivoting and pivoting and pivoting, um, as I'm sure we can all attest to. So, uh, yeah, originally the year was going to be, uh, yeah. Unlike anything that it really turned out to be. <laughs> so when we say pivoting, I mean, it's not just pivoting. It's, it's not from one race to another. It's just there hasn't been really any races since March 1st. So what have those goals morphed into? How have you, what have your conversations been like, you know, with Coop and Coop, you know, chime in, like, how do those conversations go? Did they, did you immediately have like, all right, I've always wanted to do this. Now I can, or is it, whoa, it really developed over several months and we had to like, just sort of like yeah. sit back and see how things develop. I think like for me, it was, um, a period of like a fairly long period of emotionally adjusting to the new circumstances. Um, and, you know, really as each race was canceled, I was just gutted. And so it wasn't necessarily huh. this like, okay, now that this is canceled, I guess I'll do this other awesome thing I've always wanted to do. Uh, it was like periods of mourning for sure. Like I was just, right. you know, so heartbroken at some of these big things canceled that I dream to and look to the rest of the year. Um, and I think it really wasn't until like 
early summer that I started to feel kind of the excitement and hope of some of these other objectives, um, many of which were things I had kind of thought I would do many years down the road. Like, oh, you know, one day and, you know, five to 10 years, maybe I'll go back to this area that I love or to this route. And uh, I think now I'm a lot more, like I'd I'd be a lot more prepared if that happens again in 2021 than I was for this year. Um, But yeah, I think it's like that emotional adjustment that's the biggest. Yeah, we'll come back to what you may have actually ended up focusing on, but but Coop, you know, this sounds to me, obviously, she mentioned the sense of loss and, you know, starts in March and she mentioned midsummer. That's, did you get the sense of almost the doldrums or depression, you know, discussions around how to deal with this? How did that, how did that evolve? Well, so evolve, I think is a really good way to put it, Dirk. I, I kind of likened... 2020 and the way that COVID has really impacted endurance athletes. I've used this like, uh, like mixed martial arts or boxing analogy. And just for the listeners, I'm a, I'm a huge mixed martial arts and boxing fan, but I think I can make it, I think I can make it uh, relative to people who don't even understand those sports. There's a saying in that sport that if you invest in the body enough, the head will eventually fall, and what that me- and what that means in a, in a in a combat setting is that if you can continually throw body shots and leg kicks and things like that, they're not the sexiest thing in the world. It's not the sexiest mode of attack, but eventually the accumulation of all of that damage is going to cause the opponent to fall. And with COVID, that's exactly what happened. It wasn't like the first race cancellation or the second race cancellation or the third race cancellation. But the accumulation of all of them that eventually caused some athletes to just like throw in the towel. I mean, I, li- I mean, literally, they were just like, I can't do it. I'm not going to train anymore. I'm going to go hide in my basement. I'm going to stop doing intervals and things like that. And the one, I think once, once we wrapped our heads around this concept or this aspect that this was going to be a long-term disruption. And that happened at different points for everybody because we're all kind of internal optimists, right? Oh, like UTM, we have this hope, right? And that's what Abby just mentioned. We have this hope that UTMB is going to happen, or we have this hope that this other race is going to happen. Once we once we settled into the fact that this was going to be a long-term disruption, the athletes that had a really strong, a really strong center, and I call that a strong why, they were the ones that were able to pivot for the long term. And they really honestly didn't skip a beat of training. Yeah, I mean, there are going to be times where, you know, I'm not that motivated to do this or motivated to do that. But if you compare that to the athletes that didn't have like a really strong why behind why they were doing what they were doing they ended up actually flourishing and you contrast that with the like the more event centric athletes that are always focused on you know I want to qualify for the Boston Marathon and I want to run this PR and I want to do you know this race in under 24 hours or whatever those type of angle things since those angle things were obliterated they just had a hard time wrapping their head, their their head around the situation so i think the biggest pivot that 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 Abby subconsciously a little bit, cause she starts, she starts out with this innate personality, but also from a conscious standpoint, she always knows that she's like seeking adventure at her core. And because she has that like deep within her core, she was able to, 
modify and adapt things as this finality of this like semi-permanent disruption <laughs> was falling upon us in 2020 and now into the early parts of 2021. Right. So Abby, uh, you obviously, it sounds like you have a strong why or, or maybe purpose. Mm-hmm. And if you go into some of that, what have you gotten more in tune with that mm-hmm. this year? Yeah, you know, that's a great question. I think, well, so I think it starts out with kind of like maybe how I chose to uh, pivot to what. And I think for me, a lot of that became a question of not, you know, say I was going to run 100K at UTMB, the, you know, replacement of that isn't, okay, what's another similar 100K effort I can go do? But, you know, what's another thing that inspires me just as much or makes me feel lit up in that same way. Um, And so for me, ultimately, that ended up being a very different objective that made me feel a similar level of drive and excitement. And so I think for me, that does like kind of tie in with my why, which is, you know, that I'm, I'm always kind of wanting to uh, have, have big goals and let that, that like process of pursuing them shape me and not fearing failure leaning into challenge and adversity. And so um, I think, you know, to have a year of kind of wild cards and canceled schedules and whatnot, um, I think when I was able to look at it with that lens of, you know, what, uh, what big goal can I take on here? How can I not fear failure? How can I lean into the current circumstances more? I think that's when the kind of transformation started to occur where I realized that, you know, I could still go out and do some pretty cool stuff. Did you possibly, Jason, take this as an opportunity? I mean, now that she's not traveling, whatever it might be, 50 days a year or something across the Atlantic and Pacific and all kind of, you know, you know, having time to focus on some things that may have been not as much of a focus in the past? Um, it'd be really easy to answer that question. Yes. Because if you were to like present this as like a case scenario in front of a bunch of coaches, that's automatically what they would say. They'd say, oh yeah, this is the greatest time to focus on your weaknesses and blah, blah, blah. You know, I mean, that's probably come out in several articles that, you know, both you and I have hosted over the course of the last nine months. But the reality was, is there was, there was two phases of this. The first phase was the pivot phase. Okay, we're not doing this. Now we're going to do that. We're not going to do that. Now we're going to try to go do this third thing. And the specificity component of the training was kind of dominating the the training prescription at that time because of that jump to jump to jump to jump. Once Abby decided, or once everybody decided, hey, let's just, this is going to be a semi-permanent thing. Let's just focus on per- what we're, what I think is a good way to describe it as personal projects. Once mm. that happened, the time frame between whatever spe- specificity component that we were working on and the personal project was so short, there wasn't enough opportunity mm. to look around and say, okay, we're going to work on your weaknesses or we're going to do right. this or we're going to do that. It was very much, you know, crash course types of training. And I kind of always go back to this, to the statement that the athletes are good. You know, I mean, you don't need to over orchestrate a lot of things that we're doing in endurance training with athletes like Abby, who have a long history of training 
at a variety of different intensities and durations and in different formats. So she can pick things up like a huge personal project without having like a four year Olympic cycle to build into it because she's been training for, for, for so long. So the short answer to that is, 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 is no, I mean, yeah, if we were to just like flip the switch a little bit earlier, sure. The architecture of that absolutely looks different, but because of the circumstance and because athlete, because Abby has such a robust history of training before I started working with her, all of these short-term pivots, they just were what they were, you know, and they'll be good for her long-term because it's all training. And in alluding to what I was mentioning earlier, Abby was one of those, is one of those athletes that she continued to train and to purposely train throughout this entire pandemic. And I honestly think that in and of itself puts her in a better competitive, uh, puts her in a better competitive situation going forward because there's nothing that she has to quote unquote make up. Right. You know, one thing I just want to add there, it's interesting Coop that you say that because I definitely had some folks ask me this year, like, um, you know, that maybe weren't as familiar with the process. Oh, so like, are you kind of, you know, on hold with being coached right now? Or how does that, you're probably not really training since all the races are canceled. And um, it's like kind of like a funny question to me. Cause it's like, to me, the, the work, is always ongoing. And I think one of the reasons is that there is that nice luxury of when you are really putting in the the training and putting in the work with this big, long-term process in mind, you're able to kind of jump into those things without these huge swings in training. Um, so I so thought that was interesting. Well, I'll tell you what, if I, if I charged hourly for coaching, I would be a billion times richer after this year than any other year that I've ever coached. I mean, like, honestly, I put more time and effort and care into coaching this year or not this year, 2020 (laughs) as compared to any other year in my 20 year professional career. And that's just because the situation was so dynamic and so much psychological coaching had to go on so much uh, adaptive coaching has to go on. You have to adapt to the situation in front of you. It was immensely harder as a professional coach in 2020 than any other one. So this whole notion of oh, athletes just, you know, her coaches take the year off. I could tell you from personal experience, <laughs> it was way more intensive across my entire, you know, basket of athletes this past year than any other year. Yeah. I had that, I had that written down as a question to ask in the past, what percentage of a psychologist were you versus t- 2020? How much of a psychologist were you? <laughs> well, I could, I could say, I don't know if I, I don't know if I'd put the percent because it's all different, right? And it varies yeah. throughout the course of the year. But the, if you want to think about it as a rate, right? My rate of psychological coaching, like the, the amount of psychological coaching <laughs> that I'm doing, I mean, yeah. it went up tenfold. No, I'm not exaggerating that at all. It literally went up to like tenfold over the past year. And if anything, that made me a better coach because I come from a physiology background. That's my bias. That's my kind of original training, so to speak. That's how I grew up as a coach was predominantly in the physiological domain. And I'm always trying to play catch up on the psychological side of things. And so this definitely, you know, added some accelerant to to that psychological growth that I actually needed. I actually always need uh, as a coach. I'm actually quite, quite thankful for that as, uh, as an outcome of all this. 
Yeah, well, well stated. Um, so what did the goals become? You mentioned um, these body blows, these uh, personal projects. I'd love to hear about some of them and how they came about and why and um, what were some of the the big ones you went after. Yeah. Right? And, you know, whether you failed or succeeded. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think like one of the first big ones of the summer was uh, my husband, Cordis, and I went for a route called the Fifthner Traverse uh, in the in our backyard here in the Front Range, um, connecting Milner Pass to Berthoud Pass, for those that know the area, on a largely off-trail route. And uh, we went for that in mid-July and uh, got terribly stormed out at the end. Um, you know, the final seven miles that were remaining were just completely shrouded in clouds. And so uh, we had to bail. And so I think I was debriefing this with Coop like the following week. And my wheels were already turning because, you know, it was such a crazy cool experience. And, you know, to be that close to, uh, you know, a finish that would have really meant a lot to me, I think left me even hungrier when I came out of it. You know, I was, you know, we had a great like moving overnight out there. And like, I was just like amped on spending big days out on the trail. And so I think I said something to Coop, like, you know, I want to do something you know, bigger and unsupported. Um, but I also want to do it, you know, uh, yeah, unsupported and totally solo. And so, um, you know, kind of started brainstorming about what that could be. And, uh, you know, Coop kind of quickly reminded me of uh, the John Muir trail, um, which was one of my original kind of entry points into the sport, actually, back in 2016, it was my first ultra goal. And I had a failed attempt on it from when I first got into the sport, I went for it in 2016 supported. And, um, you know, as soon as Coop mentioned it, I think, uh, you know, I was like, probably like, you know, on speakerphone, like hitting refresh on the permit page while we're talking to, <laughs> to see if I could pull it off, uh, because it's a, it's a tough permit to get. Um, but yeah, I pretty quickly launched that plan into action and was, you know, eager to like secure a permit. And once I did that, like, like Coop alluded to, it was full on crash course. Um, it was, yeah, you how know, much time, how much time did you have between permit and, you know, we're doing it four weeks. So that includes Ooh. taper. <laughs> so <laughs> left like two, two weekends to go put in some overnights on the trail to test gear systems, to figure out what my, you know, what my sleep setup was going to be, what my nutrition was going to look like. And then, you know, there's unique variables to this specific route in that, you know, you've got to bring a bear canister and like, you know, figuring out, uh, you know, just like getting to know the route from afar, no scouting. Um, and yeah, there was a lot to learn. So I really quickly got to work and, um, yeah, that was, you know, um, I went for it unsupported and, um, in the end was about, I, I did it in four days, uh, four days, 10 hours, four days, 11 hours. I'm blanking it. Four days, 10 hours. Uh, and the, I ended up being about six hours off the record. So, um, wow. which wow. sounds like a lot, but over four and yeah. some days no. felt pretty close. No. Uh, I, yes. I gave it a good fight <laughs> through the end and it was really fun chasing that really solid women's time held by Amber Monfort. Um, but yeah, it was, I mean, one of my most formative experiences as a person, it was a really special experience for me that I'm still digesting in a lot of ways. And 
I think what's so cool about what that experience was for me was in the same way that all of 2020 had been about, you know, pivoting, pivoting, pivoting really is just adapting. And so fortunately that translates pretty well to something where you're out in the middle of nowhere with a little pack on your back and no one to bail you out. Uh, I had to adapt a lot of times again and again and keep choosing to be out there. And so I think in a lot of ways, that's what made the experience so powerful for me was that it was this, you know, big mirror of what the year had felt like in so many ways. And um, I am really grateful for this, the strange circumstances of 2020 in the, in, in regards to how it brought me to kind of this new uh, personal accomplishment. So it was a, a really uh, special experience that, you know, I think looking into 2021 is going to be a really valuable one to have in my pocket as I return to racing. You know, like I mentioned, it wasn't a super logical progression from, you know, okay, racing, you know, generally 50 miles to 100K to, you know, for those who aren't familiar with the route, Numacoyo is the indigenous name for uh, John Muir Trail. The JMT is 223 miles. So <laughs> big leap there in, uh, in distance and uh, in doing it unsupported as well. So by no means was it necessarily just like this logical jump, but to me, it felt like uh, no better time to just try a whole set of new variables and put myself out there and take a big chance. You know, this isn't over yet, COVID. Um, Can you state what some of your big personal projects are or what do you mainly focused on right now as we're in 2021 and there still are no races per se on the calendar hundred percent. Yeah. Um, I, my, I'm still looking to uh UTMB this year. So I'm hoping that that's going to go and off. What month is that? It's at the end of August. Um, okay. So it's kind of right around in that timeline where yeah, uh, just might work. Um, so definitely my, my hopes are set in that direction. Um, but then, you know, definitely always kind of have a series of kind of back pocket uh adventures and domestic races that you know i could sub in and i think it's funny because in years past maybe there would just be like a plan b but in my head now there's like plan c d e and f um so it's uh definitely probably a more um uh uh yeah just a different approach than normal having to be prepared for so many levels of adjustment but right so, so Jason, we can't all chase FK, you know, fastest known times. We're not all elite athletes, right? And you coach all kinds of different athletes. What have you had to almost present this idea to some some folks? Like, no, you know, what's your personal ambition? What's a cool project? Or is it just been natural? Like, oh, you know, the athlete has known exactly what they want to do next. Well, it, it, it as with a lot of coaching answers, it depends on the athlete. Some, some athletes have, they've got a little bit more of a knack or a need to put something like a personal project on the calendar. And I've had athletes that have done, you know, time trials on their local training routes, something as simple as that and organizing the training around that or a comparative time trial around their local training route. So we're going to test you this month and then you're going, going to go out and train for six or eight weeks or whatever. Then we're going to do the exact same route and we're going to see if you've gotten any better as, as like a compliance tool, uh, essentially. 
other athletes were, were, to be honest with you, were just okay with not having any events on the calendar. And those athletes, we could continue to train. We could do the right things. We could work on the weaknesses. We can go and do, you know, these other things. And the fact that there wasn't an end all be all event at the end of that tunnel, they were, they were totally fine with, but navigating that for each athlete and all of the iterations in between those, um, in between those two points, navigating that was actually quite challenging because nobody has ever experienced anything like this. So they don't really, they don't really know if they're going to like something like a virtual race, right? Which is a phenomenon that has, that has cropped up uh, right. in the COVID era era. You don't know if you're going to like a virtual race until you go do it. And so with some athletes, they went and did it and they're like, nah, it's not my cup of tea. I'm going to go try to, you know, find something else. Other athletes knew right out of the gate that they just wasn't, you know, just wasn't for them. And both of those, both of those answers are totally fine. So going back to my earlier point of, you know, this year being a coaching psychology year versus anything else, right. helping to helping athletes to navigate that became one of the focal points across my entire coaching practice, like sitting down with each and every mm -hmm. athlete absent, uh, I'm training for X, which is right. normally one of the bigger pieces of the starting point in a coach athlete relationship navigating that with each and every athlete became a, a really big part of it. And there wasn't, you know, it's not like you snap your fingers and you have that answer, right? It's just like training, right? There's a chronic nature to it that you have to keep, that you have to keep coming back to. So it was just interesting. It, it was, a, it was an interesting social experiment, at least, uh, at least from my observation to help the, to help the different athletes navigate that, uh, that aspect. And there was no answer. There was no one singular answer for everybody. It literally was all over the board. <laughs> you know, Abby, you've had some big adventures. This may, this one I'm going to mention now is probably a, your weekend getaway, but do you remember I actually saw you in Sedona Oh yeah, <laughs> and didn't even, so I see the A Lodge is, so they're getting a little plug here, but <laughs> they're a lodge here in Boulder and they have a sprinter van. You can rent it and take it on adventures. And I see this sprinter van, A Lodge in Sedona, and that's where my parents live around Thanksgiving time. And I was like, wow, someone must be here from Boulder. And then I see her in, in your Instagram, you guys are camping out. So tell us what that adventure was all about. You and Cordis, your yeah, husband. Yeah, yeah. We were out there around Thanksgiving. Uh, yeah, we were like just kind of rented that van with the mission of let's just find some warm, dry trails and um, get out a bit and uh, mix up the training. And so, yeah, we had a really fun trip down there and got some running in in the Grand Canyon and um, we actually did a similar trip like that in July as well, um, down in the San Juans. And so for us, that was kind of like a cool, uh, cool twist on like the COVID scenario of like, how can we travel in a really, uh, self-contained way, um, where we've got everything in our little van. Um, and then we actually just got a van of our own. So <laughs> clearly it had a, Congratulations. <laughs> clearly it had an effect on us. Uh, yeah. So, um, uh, Coop can attest to that as a van driver as well. So yeah, I'm late to the party. <laughs> it's a fun party Dirk. to join. <laughs> no, wait a minute. Hold on. You have to give Dirk the caveat here. <laughs> you that? will lose copious amounts of time. <laughs> if you build it out. If, no, 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 no. Even if you don't build it out. <laughs> In the planning and the research and everything that goes into it evaporates into this wormhole of time 
that you end up spending. And this, it is, it is so gross how much time you lose when you decide to get a van that you're going to either take out on the weekend, you're going to go adventure with, you're going to live in or whatever. I, it is just, I, I cannot express the amount of time loss that I had in <laughs> obtaining this van that I've now had for a year. It is just, so be, be, be wary of that commitment before you decide to make that leap. You know, to wrap this up, I'd love to ask each of you, what do you look forward to the most in a post-COVID race world? You know, I think, um, I think COVID has taught a lot of us, you know, put this kind of new premium on community and what that means to us. And so, I mean, really unlike what <laughs> I and many of us have probably True. seen in our lifetimes, you know, so to me, a sport that capitalizes on community like ultras does, you know, in, in that it's celebrating, doing hard things, um, pushing one another. Um, and it's, you know, really welcoming, unique sport. Um, to me, I'm just really excited to get back together with that community at, at races and events. And, uh, you know, that's, like I mentioned earlier, one of the things that drew me to the sport in the first place. So I, I can't wait to, to get back to start lines with, uh, with all these people. Yes. Yeah. Here, here. Yeah. Jason, any final thoughts on what you're looking forward to? Well, I'll tag on Abby's sentiment with two words, and that's bro hugs. Like, I cannot <laughs> wait. <laughs> no offense to the girls, but I cannot wait to get out there and give some big, dirty bro hugs to people <laughs> and girl hugs as well. But to, if, if I want to give a slightly different, if I, want to, and I, am, I am very much forward looking to the community, as Abby mentioned. But one, one of the things that I've dearly missed uh, over, the, over this last year is going to the races and seeing the athletes compete and athletes across the spectrum, right? Mm -hmm. Athletes at the front of the pack, right. the middle pack, and the back of the pack, they're all competing. They're all competing for something. I love tangibly seeing that. I love going into an aid station and seeing a runner come in completely destroyed and then just turn around and go, okay, I'm going to get out of here. Uh, that, that, <laughs> that aspect <laughs> of endurance sports is one of the most appealing ones to, to, to me as a coach and something that I've kind of been longing for all year to just see that visceral nature of athletes proverbially digging deep and competing. And then at the elite end, you know, really focusing on this head to head competition. I, I just can't wait to, to, for the, especially for the higher level competitions where the, where the, where the competition is really, really close and neck and neck and things like that. I just can't wait to get back to that aspect. Yeah, here, here. It'll it'll come and we can all be welcoming to all the new folks entering the sport. So definitely look forward to all the new faces as well and new friendships. 100%. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much. Great conversation. Uh, good luck, both of you, 2021. And uh, thanks, everyone, for, for listening. Thanks, Dirk. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Training Peaks Coachcast. For more episodes, visit trainingpeaks.com slash podcasts. Please head on over to Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you find your podcast to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Until next time, get out there, train with purpose, and never be afraid to sign up for that next big challenge. <laughs>